Hey, good morning once again. Thank you for joining us live online. If you're just tuning in, my name is Matt. I'm the pastor here at St. Mark. It's so great to have you here with us. Today we're continuing a teaching series that we've been in over the last handful of weeks called Free to Be, where we're looking at the New Testament letter to the Galatians. Uh, This was a letter written by a pastor, a church planter named Paul, to a church that he'd started. He started this church by preaching the gospel, the message of Jesus, a message that says, you are forgiven, you're saved, you're rescued by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He preached that message, he started that church, and then he went on to start other churches. But then he got word that some other people had come into this church in Galatia and they said, you know what, Paul only told you half the message. It's not just faith, it's not just grace, it's not just Jesus, it's faith, it's grace, it's Jesus, and a whole bunch of other stuff. You need to to keep all these rules, you need to follow all of these other teachings in order to truly be sure that you're a member of God's family. Uh, You could say that they were being spiritually scammed into a religion of work rather than a religion of rest and mercy and grace. And so Paul gets word of this. He hears about this, and he he writes this, this passionate pastoral response. And that's what the book of Galatians is. It's this passionate letter that Paul writes back to this church saying to them, no, don't buy that lie. There's no extra involved in this. It really is. The message of Jesus really is that free, that good. There's nothing else that you need to do. It's free. And you, you are free. Today, as we turn our attention to chapter 5, Paul continues that theme of freedom, but he does so by answering a question. Actually, he, he addresses a concern. The question, the concern is this. What if people abuse their freedom? What if people abuse the grace of God? And, and that's always the concern, right? If you say to someone, hey, there's nothing that you have to do, you don't owe me anything in order to get the best of me, then, then there is the concern, there's the worry that someone's going to take advantage of that. They're going to take the goodness that you offer and then just run with it and indulge themselves. That's often the critique that's levied upon Christianity from other religions. It's just too easy. God gives you everything and you owe him nothing. He gives you mercy and grace and forgiveness and you don't owe him anything in return in order to keep it, in order to lock it in, in order to have it. Man, people are going to run wild with that. They're going to abuse it. Shouldn't you be transformed? How can you just take God's grace, run with it, without then applying it and being changed by it? That'd be an abuse of God's grace. That's the concern that people have. And understandably, earlier this week, I was able to to officiate the wedding of of a great young couple here at St. Mark. And one of the things I reminded them in 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 their wedding service was that marriage, for example, is meant to be a relationship of transformation. The love of one spouse to another is meant to change you. Marriage is an act of grace and mercy, where one spouse gives themselves to the other spouse out of pure grace. And, and then each and every day in marriage is made up of that choice over and over again to give your spouse grace, uh, to, to wake up every day and when your feet hit the floor to say, I'm not going to treat my spouse as they deserve. No, I'm going to give them instead what they need, which is my love and my service and my sacrifice and my compassion. 
And that life of service and sacrifice and generosity, of grace, giving and receiving that over and over again is meant to transform you over the course of time. It's meant to transform wives into creatures who, who do whatever love requires. It's meant to transform men into creatures who do whatever their wives want. It's meant to change you. But here's the thing, and I told them this in the ceremony, the transformation that is meant to come with marriage is optional. You can resist it. You can press against it. You can reject it. You can choose in your marriage, despite receiving grace from this person, you can choose to stay the same. That would be a shame, but you can choose to take their love for granted and stay the same. And that's the concern that's talked about here in Galatians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says, starting at verse 13. Paul says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul admits, yeah, you could totally take advantage of this. You could take advantage of the grace and mercy of God and just indulge yourself and not be changed by this love at all. You could, you could if you wanted to, you could... You could use the grace of God as license to indulge the flesh, that's the phrase he uses, rather than be transformed and invited into a life of love. Back to marriage for just a moment. I've encountered couples over the years who who struggle because they brought different expectations into the marriage. One enters the marriage thinking that they are going to get a partner from the other person, The other enters the marriage thinking that they're going to get a parent in the other person. Uh, They see marriage as kind of an extension of their their family of origin, where perhaps mom or dad just kind of doted on them, gave them everything they wanted, everything they needed. The whole house kind of revolved around the kids, and so they enter into marriage expecting the same thing. And then they get frustrated when their, their spouse is not excited at the prospect of cooking their meals and picking up their socks and looking cute in the process. And they get frustrated, and inevitably, the person who's giving and giving and giving in the marriage ends up shouting something like this, I love you, but I am not your mother. See, you're familiar with this conversation, I can tell. What Paul is saying when he says, look, don't, don't use the grace of God as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, what he's saying is, don't be one of those selfish spouses, so to speak. You could if you wanted to, but don't. Don't be the kind of person who takes the grace of God and just runs with it and takes and takes and takes and is not at all transformed by it. No, let this love that God gives to you, let it transform you. Now, it's at this point in in the reading of chapter 5 that most people, Paul's original hearers and us, they begin to reflect. They start to say, well, what kind of person am I? Am I the kind of person who indulges the flesh? And when Paul uses that phrase, which he uses a lot in the New Testament, indulging the flesh, what he means is, am I the kind of person who just gives in to my self-centered sinner heart and makes the grace of God a license to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want? Or am I the kind of person who is transformed by God's grace and I, I live a new kind of life? I live the life that God wants me to be. Which kind of person am I? Do I take advantage of it? Or do I make the most of it? For good? For love? I can answer that question for you. I know the answer for you because I know the answer for myself. The answer to that question is yes. Yes, you are both. And so am I. 
I, I take advantage of God's grace and I indulge and do whatever I want and I'm also being slowly transformed by the grace of God and living a life of love. It's both. Part of what Paul illustrates here is that in the life of a Christian, there is there's an ongoing battle taking place each and every day between the old you, the, the, the sinner, the, the self-centered uh, old you, and the new you, the person that God is making you into by the power of his spirit, as Paul would say in chapter 5. That there's a battle going on between these two things. And some days, man, it's the old you that wins out, and some days it's the new transformed you that lives out. Some days you are taking total advantage of God's grace and just indulging yourself, and other days you are walking in love and being transformed. There's a battle going on. And from what Paul says in chapter 5, it's relatively easy to look at your life and see which way the battle is going at any given time. All you got to do is just kind of look at the fruit in your life. That's the word he uses. What he says is that if you are simply indulging the flesh, taking advantage of God's grace, and just serving yourself, you will see very particular kinds of fruit. Uh, You heard in the scripture reading this this long and kind of eye-opening list of dysfunctions that Paul rattles off. And what he's saying is that if you, if you insist on indulging the flesh in your life, just going all in for you and only you, you will bear this kind of broken, bad, dysfunctional fruit. And you'll be able to see it and other people will be able to see it. You could take that list. I won't go back to the whole list, but you, you could take that list. You could break it up into like four categories. He talks about sexual stuff. He talks about idolatry. You could think of like social religion in that category. He talks about, talks about relationship strife, and he also talks about substance abuse in that list. He talks about sex, he talks about social idolatry, he talks about relationships, and he talks about substance. And what he's saying is, when you are indulging the self, taking God's grace for granted, what tends to happen is you tend to dive into one of these four categories. And when you dive into one of these four categories trying to get from it that which can only come from God, eventually your life and your activity will, will, will degenerate into dysfunction. Uh, let me give you an analogy. Um, uh, I'm a runner. I've been a runner for, for, for many years. Uh, but when I first started running, I, I, I had just a basic kind of like $20 pair of off-brand sneakers that were already in my closet. So I threw them on and I started running. And as, as with most things that I get excited about in my life, I didn't just start like jogging and running like maybe a half mile one morning. No, I went all in. I started running like multiple miles every single day for years. And so right out of the gate, there were days where I was running like four, five, eight, ten miles a day in my $20 shoes. And, and what I quickly realized is that shoes matter. Because in short order, the the bottom of the soles of the shoes started to like dissolve until I could actually feel the pavement coming through the bottom of the shoe and touching my foot. You You can't prepare for big races in cheap shoes. Because what will happen is you will you will ruin the shoe and hurt yourself. 
What Paul is saying here is that when you, when you indulge the flesh and you go all in on just you, taking advantage of God's grace, and you dive into, in, into sex, into relationships, into, into all the different social uh, idolatries that are available, into, into indulging substance, whatever it is, when you dive into these things, you're trying to run a big race in cheap shoes. You're trying to get meaning, purpose, ultimate satisfaction from something that wasn't meant to give you those things. Those things can only come from God. And so what's going to happen is those things are going to degenerate and dissolve real quick. And you're going to ruin that thing in all kinds of dysfunction. And you're going to harm yourself. Look around your life. Take a quick inventory. Where do you see dysfunction? Where do you see some of the things that Paul listed? Where do you see relationships that are just sideways and frustrating? Where there's envy and strife? Where do you find some of the freakiness going on? Paul lists some freaky stuff. Where do you find addiction? Hurts and hang-ups that you won't let go of because you're trying to satisfy some deep need that can really only be satisfied from God. Where do you see the dysfunction in your life? Look for a moment with honest eyes. Now, I know there's a lot of factors that go into the dysfunction in our lives, but could it be, perhaps, that the reason this particular dysfunction in your life is because you have been taking God's grace for granted and diving into that particular category, serving you and only you, and it's done what that always does. It's dissolved into dysfunction. Is that happening for you? Now, on the flip side, Paul says that when you are you are being transformed by the love that God gives you through Jesus Christ, you'll, you'll see fruit there too. You'll, you'll see very different kinds of fruit. Uh, when, when the battle to be a new person is actually being won by the new person, here's some of the fruit that you'll see. We call this the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Uh, My wife and I, uh, Lisa, uh, we've been together for 25 years, married for 18 years. So for almost two-thirds of my life, I've known my wife. And and I wouldn't have it any other way. She's my best friend, my partner in crime. I love spending uh, every waking moment with her that I possibly can. And, and I love that I've spent so much of my life with her, not just because she's a good time, which she really is, but because her love for me has borne incredible fruit in me. 25 years of, of receiving her love and her forgiveness and her grace toward me each and every day has transformed me. It's made me a different person a better person than I would have been otherwise. I think most of the guys who are watching this who are married will agree that most of what the world likes about them or respects in them uh, is due to their wife. (laughs) You can draw a straight line from what the world appreciates about you back to the woman who loves you so well. From big things to small things. Hey, nice shirt, pastor. My wife. Cute kids. My wife. That was a really good sermon. You know who's been giving me feedback for like 20 years? Lots of feedback? My wife. Man, you're so well-rounded. You've seen every season of Downton Abbey. My wife. That advice you gave my husband, it changed him. Oh, well, that's because I've been him. My wife. 
Everything that's good about me, man, you can draw a straight line back to my bride. In the same way, there should be a line. There is a line drawn from the fruit that's good in your life back to Jesus. The love of Jesus is meant to be poured out into your life in such a way that it, that it stirs up goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, kindness, patience, fruit you wouldn't have ever borne on your own, but it's Jesus pouring those things into you and making you brand new. Where in your life do you see some of that fruit? Where do you see some patience where you never thought you'd have patience? Some kindness where you thought you'd never have kindness. Some self-control where, my goodness, you never thought you'd have self-control. It's Jesus. Now, that said, Paul makes it clear in Galatians chapter 5 that, that this battle is not fought passively. Uh, we, we don't reject the desire to indulge the flesh passively. We, we, don't, we don't bear the fruit of the Spirit passively. Certainly, Jesus gets all the credit for the good stuff, but this is not something that's, that, that's simply done passively in us. Uh, it, we are active participants in this battle. Paul mentions two things. He says that in the life of the Christian, we are to be about crucifying the flesh and walking in the Spirit. This is how this battle is fought. Crucifying the flesh and walking in the Spirit. Listen to these words. On that point of crucifying the flesh, Paul says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, what's interesting about this particular verse is notice who's doing the work here. Paul is actually talking about the Christian being the crucifier, the Christian being the one who crucifies the flesh. Now, now Paul is not using that word, that verb, accidentally. He knows what word he's using. For Christians, crucifixion is a very and obviously loaded word. Crucifixion is how Jesus died for the sins of the world. We have vivid image, images in our mind of what crucifixion entails. And Paul means for you to see every single one of those when he thinks about the battle between selfish indulgence and bearing good fruit by the grace of God. A couple ways to describe crucifixion. Crucifixion was purposeful. It was public. It was painful. And it was prolonged. It was purposeful because no one ever was tacked on a cross on accident. People put Jesus there. It's public. It happened in front of the eyes of Jerusalem. It's painful, obvious reasons and it's prolonged. It took hours for the crucified to die. Here's what Paul is implying. The battle that you fight against selfishness and indulging the old you, it is a, it is a, it is a purposeful battle. You must allow the person, the old you that is dying, to remain on the cross. It is a it is a public battle. As you let go of selfish indulgence in all these different areas of life and you seek to bear fruit in step with God's grace and to let his love change you, it means that you will say no to things that other people say yes to. You will refuse to say things that other people let flow freely from their lips. 
you will walk away from things that other people run toward because you are trying to let go of the selfish, self-serving impulses. And people will take note of that. It's also painful because it's a life of self-denial rather than of self-service. And there's nothing more enjoyable or celebrated, at least for a moment, in this world than being selfish. And yet that's not what you're called to. And it is prolonged. It takes a long time for the old you to die. You see, when you are baptized into God's kingdom, the death of that old, sinful, self-centered you began. You died. You were tacked to the cross, so to speak. But now, part of your life of, of growing in faith is allowing the old you to be left there and fighting the temptation, as the theologian John Stott says, fighting the temptation to invite the old you off the cross and to say, hey, old, dying, sinful me, come and live with me, walk with me, be with me. The temptation to, to feel the nails holding the old you to its, to its death and to see if you can pull them out and set it free. You have to slap your hand and let go and say, no, this old person must die crucify the flesh. And of course, this is where things like confession and community come in. We are to take the temptations to just indulge ourselves and to dive into nothing but, but self-serving self-indulgence, and we are to like lift them up and, and, and yell them at God and say, I'm tempted to this, I'm struggling with this, I've given in to this, and then allow him to rain mercy and grace and the promise of forgiveness back down upon us. And we have to have people in our life who live in such close proximity and with such permission that they can see the craziness that I'm battling with and they can speak out against it and say, look, man, I see what's going on. I love you, but I gotta say, like, like this is not who you are supposed to be. This is not what we are all about. How can I help you, love you, forgive you, walk with you? Do you have, like, do you have anybody in your life who is close enough proximity with the right permission to see and to speak? Do you have that person in your life? It's critical in the life of crucifying the flesh and leaving the old you on the cross to die. On the flip side, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is only done by the Spirit. In, in living a life of bearing good fruit, Paul, in this particular section of chapter 5, he mentions the Spirit seven times in the course of like 10 verses. Again, that's, that's not on accident. That, that's on purpose. If you and I are in a conversation in the course of like 10 minutes, I mentioned Jimmy John's like seven, eight times. That's on purpose. I'm hungry and I'm dropping hints. We need to go to lunch. Paul is doing the same kind of thing here, only he's not talking about sandwiches, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's saying this life of being transformed by the grace that God gives you, it's only accomplished by the Spirit of God flowing in you. And you, you must choose to walk with it, be led by it, and to be transformed by it. You're active in this, which means you have to be able to notice when the Spirit is stirring and working in you and heed it, step with it, give yourself over to it. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do I know the Holy Spirit's like at work in my life? That seems like a really strange, like religious thing. Like, I, like how, what? How, does he like text me? Like, how do I know? Well, well, here's how you know. Jesus himself, John chapter 15, says this. He says, when the helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Here's how you know the Spirit is stirring in you to help you win this battle of growing in grace and bearing good fruit. The Spirit will be active in your life, pointing you to Jesus. That's the whole job of the Holy Spirit, to point you to Jesus. And it often happens in very simple, seemingly mundane ways. Like you'll be, you'll be all of a sudden, out of nowhere it seems, feeling guilty about something you've been indulging in your life and you find yourself wondering like, man, I wonder if God can forgive that. That's the Holy Spirit pointing you to Jesus. Or you'll just be driving to work one day or scrolling your phone and all of a sudden this, this old Bible verse that you memorized like way back in the day in Sunday school will come to mind. You'll be like, where in the world does that come from? I know where it came from. It's the Holy Spirit pointing you to Jesus. Or there's this friend in your life who also happens to share your faith like, share your worldview, your hope. Why do you think they're in your life? Maybe you can grow that relationship, founded upon Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit pointing you to Jesus. Or it's been a while since you've been to church, and all of a sudden you feel like, man, maybe I should get back to church when all this corona stuff is gone. Like, maybe I need to, like, go back to church, start getting involved in that. Nobody thinks of that on their own. That's the Holy Spirit pointing you to Jesus. And I am certain that God is active doing that in your life. In little ways, just like that. Where in your life do you see, do you experience, can you notice the Holy Spirit stirring and pointing you to Jesus? Do you think that's on accident? It's on purpose. Recite the verse. Make the friend. Go to church. Confess the sin. Do the act of kindness and generosity that God's Spirit is urging you to because it looks a lot like Jesus. Give in to the thing. When the Spirit speaks, step. Don't resist it. Don't fight it. Just let yourself fall into it. When the Spirit speaks, Jesus, step to Jesus. That's how we bear fruit. When the Spirit speaks, we step. Where is the Spirit speaking and pointing you to Jesus? What step can you take? They're going to take advantage of God's grace. That's the worry. That's the fear. And certainly it's a temptation. It's a battle. It's my temptation. It's my battle and it's yours. There's a battle between the old me and prying him off the cross and indulging him and diving into all kinds of, of self-service and selfishness and receiving the grace and mercy of God and letting it transform me and flow through me and hearing the Spirit point me relentlessly to Jesus. It's a battle between those two things. And I could, and you could, just give yourself over to the self-indulgent, selfish stuff. You could. Some do. But I don't believe you will. Because I trust the Holy Spirit. I trust the Spirit that's in you by virtue of your baptism. I trust the Spirit that is in you to speak to you and point you to Jesus and to call you into a life of receiving his grace and mercy over and over and over again and it transforming you and bearing good fruit in you. I trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I trust the Holy Spirit to remind you and convince you that you are a string 
fit for a fiddle. Go with me on this. A string for an instrument can sit on a table and it's free. It can sit on a table and it's free and it can be used for dozens, hundreds of, of different things. But it's not truly free until it is bound, until it is tied, until it is tuned to the body of that instrument and then it's set free to sing. Friends, that is you, that is me. We are free in Jesus Christ, but we are not free for anything. We are, we are free to be tied, bound, tuned to him and the grace and mercy that he gives. And when we are, we sing. We bear good fruit. We bring forth kindness and goodness and patience and gentleness and self-control that I need and that your neighbor needs, that this whole world needs. May you walk in step with the Spirit. May the Spirit win the battle. May you leave the old you on the cross today and bear good fruit. More next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are being honest, we, we, we have to confess to you that there is a constant war being waged within us between just selfishly giving ourselves over to, uh, to, to indulging every want, every desire, every, every need that emerges in our heart and mind and everything that the rest of the world tells us is most important. And listening to your spirit and hearing your voice and focusing instead on the love and the grace and the mercy that you give us and letting that flow through us and change us and bind us in all the right ways. Father, I know that, that someone who's listening right now, who's watching, is, is in the heat of this battle. They're experiencing much of the dysfunction that Paul listed And the thing that they're doing is dissolving into dysfunction and they and others are getting hurt in the process. Father, I pray that you would call them out of that and call them into something better. Call them into a knowledge, a wave of mercy and grace that is theirs through Jesus. And let, that, let the knowledge of the mercy and grace that is theirs overwhelm them and free them for a life of love. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.